You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. If you ask anybody how they're doing this week, chances are you're going to get some kind of statement that comes back to the fact that somebody is really busy. You know, you ever said, hey, how's the week going, man? Man, things are good. We're just super, super busy. And that just seems to be a common response in our culture today. And, and uh, the, the reality is we are busy. And, and so, you know, we, we think, I, you know, as a, uh, in, in America, like being busy is, is like a badge of honor. You know, the, the, I think the, the common response is, man, you know, we wouldn't say this, but the common response is, man, I'm busy, which essentially means that I'm super important because so many people need me, so many people, you know, are, are, are needing my attention and they need me to be involved, people are relying on me and, and so I'm really, really important and that's why I'm really, really busy. And so it's almost like a badge of honor for us, but the truth is we, we as, a, as a people are extremely busy. For each of us, our schedules are busy, our weeks are busy, and every single day is filled with various activity. We're busy, but my question for you today is, are we productive? We're flying around like a bunch of madmen. We have a lot to do, a lot of activities that are going on, but what do we have to actually show for all this activity? For all of these things that we're busy in, are we truly productive? It's like we don't make the connection between our long-term goals and our daily tasks. In other words, our long-term goals to, to be a man of God or, or to accomplish this, this goal or our, we want our families to be like this. And, and so our long-term goals are out here, but then our daily task, our daily activity doesn't line up and it doesn't match what we say we want to become, what we say we actually want to do. So we're just extremely busy, but are we doing the right things at the right time? That's my question for you today. A lot of us are busy, and I've got a few images here to kind of show us how we are so busy today. We like to hang out with friends, right? So this image is, is of our friends, and so we like to hang out, you know, with our people, whether it's at the park, whether it's at home, whether it's at a restaurant, wherever it is, we like to hang out with our friends. We also like to catch a date night with our boyfriend or girlfriend or our spouse, and so we spend all of this time like, you know, intimate time where we're, we're getting all these great conversations and, and this deeper connection with each other. And then we have all this great family time together. Like we eat together and, I mean, we're just like asking about the day, right? What do all these images have in common that really depict our culture today? They're all looking at their phone. Now we say we're busy, but being busy is actually a relative term, you know? Because what you think is busy, another guy might think, dude, you don't even know what busy looks like, you know? And so we're all kind of different. And, and so what we got to do is we kind of got to step back and say, okay, we might be busy with family. We might be busy at work. But if we're spending so much time on our phone, I might argue that's not being busy at all. Looking at Facebook and Twitter doesn't mean you're busy. It just means you're distracted. The research is actually proving this. There's a company that recently did a study, it's called D-Scout, and they said that the average person touch, touches their phone 2,617 times every single day. That's the average users. Uh, how, how many times the average user will look at their phone or touch their phone? On average, 
people are spending 145 minutes every single day on their phone. That's almost two and a half hours every single day. Now that's the average user. There's the upper 10% of you that are on your phone even longer. On average, people engage their phone 76 times every single day. This is a new phenomenon in the world. We haven't had to deal with this kind of distraction. We haven't had to deal with this kind of technology before. We don't yet know what it's actually doing to us. But, but I would submit that if you are saying that you are busy and you're spending two and a half hours looking at Instagram and te- you know, Twitter and replying to text messages and emails and looking at photos and stupid cat videos, you know, <laughs> that you're not really busy. You're just distracted. So here's what we're going to do to start off this series entitled Airplane Mode. I want everybody to grab their phones. Mine's here in my back pocket. Seriously, everybody grab your phone, take it out of your purse, get it out of your pocket, put them up in the air. Let me see that you got them. Wave them like you just don't care. Hold them there. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go to our settings. So everybody, literally, we're at, uh, this is a little tutorial today on technology. We're going to go to our settings. It doesn't matter if you have an Android or an iPhone, whatever you got. And one of the first things you're going to see in settings is a little orange, you know, little icon. And in the middle is a white airplane. That's called airplane mode. And if you turn that airplane mode on, and I'm going to do it right now, so don't text me and distract me while I'm preaching. No text messages will come through. No phone calls will come through. Zero notifications will actually come through. Now, some of you are like, Trent. We know this. We've flown on Delta. It's one of the first things they tell us to do. Right? If you turn it on airplane mode, you're going to make Delta happy. But what you're also going to do is limit the distractions that are in your life today. There's a study done by Florida State University, and they studied college students. And uh, long story short, what they discovered, not a, you know, this isn't rocket science here. It's not going to surprise you. But what they saw is that any kind of notification that came through uh, when a student was taking a test, and it, it didn't matter what kind of notification it was, didn't matter what kind of ring or tone that it actually was, or if it just vibrated, any distraction like that during a test distracted the student, and they performed a lot worse on the test than if someone actually didn't have that distraction. So bottom line for, this, for the study was that if you have your phone and you know that a notification has come through, you don't have to pick it up and look at it. You know, you don't have to go to it. If you know that it just went off, it just dinged or it just vibrated, you're distracted from the task at hand. You know, so if you're at school and you're taking notes or you're taking a test or you're at work and you're working on, you know, sol- solving the world's problems and all of a sudden you get a little, you're like, hold up just a second here. Oh, I'll holler at them later. You know, so distracted from whatever it is you're doing, you know. And medically, when your brain gets distracted from what it's doing, it takes 15 minutes to get back into the zone that you were just on. So if you're having your quiet time, you know, and you're praying to Jesus and you're just having this moment, right? And you're just like, God, I'm, God, this, I'm loving you, Jesus. And then all of a sudden, you get a Facebook notification. Doo-doo. You're like, Jesus, I just, I'll, I, you know, we'll deal with that later. What was I saying, Jesus? Right? I mean, that's not too far from the truth, is it? I mean, it's happened. So what I'm going to encourage you to do in this series 
is to lay down the distractions that are in your life. Week one, we're going to talk about how busyness and the distractions of technology and, and how, to, how to overcome that and really how do we walk wisely uh, and, and, and walk into that wisdom as a follower of Jesus. And, and uh, the series is called Airplane Mode. We want to get rid of the distractions. Next week, we're going to talk about the distraction that you and I, because of this busy life, don't really know how to rest. And so we're going to look at what does the Bible say about the Sabbath? Are we really supposed to keep the Sabbath today? And what does rest do for our bodies? We're going to look at the distraction of living a life uh, that is, is, is constantly focused on pleasure and comfort. How do I get comfort? And so we're after comfort, and that distracts us from actually living an obedient life, the life that Christ calls us to. He calls us to a life that sometimes is uncomfortable. But our desire is to chase comfortable and then we're going to look at the distraction of, of how we are a people that constantly wants to please other people. And so we live for the approval of other people instead of living for the approval of God and how to, uh, you know, seek his approval in our life. So we've got many, many distractions here, and, and we have to learn how to be a quitter, a strategic quitter. I want to get into that a little bit today, but before I jump into it, I want to read from God's word in the book of Ephesians. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians. We're going to look at chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. We've got to learn how to quit some things in our life. If we're looking at our phone 76 times a day, two and a half hours on average, looking at nonsense on social media, I know some of it is work-related, and so we kind of intertwine. I'm working, slash I'm on Facebook for a little while, now I'm back to work, but but these are distractions when it comes to our spiritual life and, and to our long-term goals. And God's wisdom here in chapter 5 of Ephesians is going to help us out greatly. Here's what the Bible says in verse 15. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Now, pause just for a minute. He's not saying like, how do you walk? Do you walk with a limp or do you kind of have a gangster lean? When you, you know, do you strut? He's not talking about literally how you walk. He's talking about how you live. So he says, look carefully then how you live, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as, say it with me, wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. He says to live wisely and to understand what the will of the Lord is. Here in verse 15, he says to make the best use of time. In some translations, it says to redeem the time. And this is a Greek word that didn't have anything to do with religion or God or faith. It had everything to do with making a wise financial investment in the marketplace. And so the word meant, you know, make this incredible investment in the marketplace so that you make a killing financially. You get a huge return on your investment. And so Paul's use of the word here is simply telling us that you need to make the most use of your time by investing in the right things, by investing the right things at the right time in order to have a return on your investment eternally that makes a killing. That is just incredible. That's his point here. He says to do this and to make the wise use of time. Why? Well, number one, because we don't have a lot of time. You know, we, we have many, many promises in the Bible, but the Bible never promises us tomorrow. So 
you know, we don't know when our, our, our time is up. So make the most use, make the greatest investment, use your time wisely, the time that God has given to you today. But then he also says, you've got to make the most use of your time. Yeah, because it's short, but secondly, because the days are evil. Look at that phrase again, the days are evil. Now in Paul's time, the days were evil. Fast forward to 2017, the days are evil. Like what he is talking about is this time frame. Jesus lives this perfect life. He dies on the cross. He rises from the grave. He ascends to heaven. Now from that period until he returns and starts the new age and establishes the new kingdom, the new earth, we are living in this time frame here. This in-between time. And this is the time that Paul says, this season is evil. You've got to make the most use of your time to make the greatest impact in the kingdom of God because we are only here for a short time. Your life is short. Eternity is forever. Start thinking about your long-term home and not just this short-term life. These days are evil. You have work to do. You have a mission to accomplish. We're going to be in eternity forever. But what we do right now matters. So live a wise life. The days are evil, so we have a lot of work to do. Now, you've probably been watching the news this week just like I have. You've seen this atrocity in Charlottesville, Virginia. And we just need to make uh, a, a comment here to realize that white supremacy and racism is alive and well. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to vocally denounce and oppose any form of racism. Don't be silent at work. Don't be silent about your view about racism. And it must, and we are called to, view and understand every single person, no matter what color of skin they have, and no matter what country they are from, we see them as an image bearer of God. Every single person is created in the image of God, which means that they have an intrinsic value that we are called to love and respect. There is dignity in every single life that God creates. As followers of Jesus, racism is anti-Christ. It is anti-gospel. And we can't be silent about that. But listen, this age is evil, but the hope and the, and the, and the knowledge that we have about the Holy Spirit, about the second coming of Christ, is that he's going to redeem and restore and remove all sin, including racism. And our hope is that one day all racism will be completely wiped away. And the same spirit that's gonna bring that is alive and well today. The Holy Spirit's alive and well in Charlottesville, convicting those of sin, comforting those who are hurting. And as a church, as followers of Christ, we're called to push back that darkness. The days are evil. We have a mission at hand. And so when I read statistics, about our cell phone use and our time on Facebook and all of these useless things that we do, all of these things that we waste time doing in life when there's so much evil and so much darkness, it motivates me. I pray that today, I pray that the next few weeks motivate us to understand that our time is short, the days are evil, and we have to wise up. We've got to get our act together here. We have a mission to accomplish. The scripture says, don't be foolish. You see, you have two ways to live your life. You can either live as wise 
or you can live as unwise and the choice is yours. Obviously we would all say, man, I wanna live a wise life, but why don't we? Well, because sometimes it's hard. The Bible says to forgive those that hurt us. But when it comes to actually forgiving someone, that's a hard thing to do when they've hurt you. you know? And so, so we see this tension in this, man, this is hard. And then we just walk away from it. We don't do it. We just do whatever we want to do and just waste time doing a bunch of other stuff that doesn't seem to matter. Tim Keller, pastor in New York, he wrote an article and he said in the article that one friend told him that God is not going to give you more to do in a day than you can actually do. God's not gonna give to you in one day more than you can actually do. And in the article, he's talking about how he struggles with that because of the pressure that we feel in life. You know, the pressure to perform. Your boss gives pressure and, and you know, that pressure is there in your life to perform. And sometimes that means you have to work longer and, you know, sacrifice your family if, if that's in fact the direction that he wants you to go or she wants you to go. And so we have pressure from parents. We have pressure from spouses. There's all of this outside pressure. And then there's the pressure that God gives to us. And sometimes we can't distinguish between the two because we're not wise enough or we're not thinking through it enough. But think of it in terms of this bike. Now this bike is completely flat. Like the tires are completely flat. Now, if I were to try to ride this thing on a trail, I'm not gonna go very far. It's not gonna take me where I wanna go because there's no pressure in the tires. But if I take this pump and I add some pressure into it, I'm, I'm gonna begin to get to where I need to be. But, but I can't just add 10 pounds of pressure. If I only add 10 pounds of pressure, it's still gonna be basically useless. It's not gonna be efficient. It's not gonna be effective in taking me where I need to go. Likewise, the, the, the opposite is true as well. If I fill this tire up and I actually put, you know, more pressure in it than is intended to be in it, it's eventually going to be compromised and it's going to burst. So there's this, there's this right amount of pressure that is required for a bicycle tire to work, to be effective and to get you where you need to go. Now, let's think of it in terms of our life, because in our life, God's going to add pressure into your life. We just sang a song, you know, take me deeper into the waters, you know, this, this song that we love and we sing so much. You know, the idea is I want to go deeper, but I'm going to feel overwhelmed, God, but I'm going to trust that you're going to bring me through it. I'm going to be, be drawn closer to you, right? And so that's our, that's our hope. That's our song. And yet in our life, when we feel this pressure, a lot of times we just blame God or our emotions just, we flip out because we can't handle the pressure. You know, we, we blame other people, but, but essentially what we have to begin to do is realize that some of the pressure in your life is simply not God's will. Walk is unwise. Walk is wise, not as unwise, he says. He follows that scripture by saying, I want you to live a, a wise life and know what the will of God is. And so if we're feeling all of this pressure in our life and, 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 and you're here today and you're like, dude, I, I am at my wits end. I'm struggling. Like I'm, I'm, I'm pressured here and there's so much pressure here and I, and I don't know what to do. It kind of freezes us. First thing we have to do is we, we can't blame God for that because some of that isn't his will. Some of that pressure is caused by yourself, pressure that you put on yourself or that you allow other people to put on yourself. And you have to be wise enough to discern, okay, is this what God is taking me through? Is this the pressure that he's put in my life? Because I have to have pressure from him in order to go where I need to go, just like this tire. 
There has to be the right amount. God will put the right amount in your life. And sometimes it'll feel like, oh, I can't handle it, God. But he's gonna put exactly the right amount of pressure in your life. And we have to trust the pressure that he puts on our life is exactly what we need for us to become the man and the woman that he's calling us to be. It's out of this pressure that we grow. It's out of this pressure that you and I experience the depths and the beauty and the love of God's grace. Apart from that, we don't experience it. We just live in our comfort and we get prideful and our ego grows. So it's necessary for us to experience this and it's, and, and it's necessary for God to apply this pressure to our life. But at the same time, we have to be wise enough to walk in this pressure. What pressure is in your life that is self-inflicted today? Think about it. You've, you've created this mom or this dad that you're supposed to be. And so you've put all this pressure on yourself to act beautifully and to do everything right and to do this and to do that. So all of that is self-inflicted pressure. It's not God's will. You have to recognize that. The pressure that's coming from your boss and to perform and to do this and to do that. Now, you can't control what he you know, gives or she gives to you or puts on you or places on you, but you can control your attitude. You can control your heart, your mind. The wisdom of God can lead you through that, but obviously we have to be able to tell the difference. For us today, I want us to begin to think about some of the pressure that's in our life, some of the busyness that leads to pressure, some of the activity that we're doing in our life. Man, you get on Facebook, it adds pressure to your life. Why? Because you see a family and you see perfection and you think, man, we need to be like that. Now pressure is on you. You know, somebody posts something that's inspiring. Why can't I post something inspiring like that? You know, now all of a sudden you're jealous or you're envious you see something on Facebook. I had a mom telling me this week, she was like, you know, we went on vacation, school started, and I didn't post any pictures of my family on Facebook. And that first, uh, that second or third day of school, she was around some of the other moms, and some of the other moms were giving her a hard time because she didn't post anything about vacation or the first day of school. And so it was like, why didn't you do that? And so she was telling me, like, I all of a sudden felt this pressure like I wasn't being a good mom. And so she started making excuses. Oh, I didn't do that because I was busy doing this and do this. I need to do this. And then she snapped back and she was like, what is going on? Why do I feel guilty? Why do I feel not good enough? Because I didn't post a stupid picture on Facebook. (laughs) This is our culture, right? This is the craziness that we've allowed to infect our heart. And we've got to walk as, as wise, mature followers of Christ. Look at the life of Jesus. And what I I love about studying the life of Jesus is is one of the things that stands out to me is his laser focus. You notice that about him? He is so focused. He's not distracted. He never never checks his phone one time in the scriptures. It's awesome, yeah? He's so laser focused. And you know what we see him doing over and over and over again? He's getting away from people (laughs) to be with God, to be alone, right? He's getting away from the distractions to be alone with God. In Matthew 14, 13, it says, Jesus withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. A desolate place. Like he didn't want to be around anybody so that he could pray and be with God. Verse 23, the same chapter, a different instance. He went up on the mountaintop by himself to pray. You know, he's getting away from distractions to be with God. Mark 1, 35, rising early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. 
A consistent theme in the life of a man who was extremely focused on what God wanted him to do, God's will in his life, is that he was getting away from distractions and getting away from the busyness of life to be with God. Now, this has to teach us something today. We have to learn from this. In this series, we want to understand this. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Let's just pause here for a minute. How many people do you know and how many in this room today are burdened, who are laboring, who have this heavy weight upon their shoulders to perform and to be, to accomplish and to achieve and to look good and all of this pressure that we put on ourselves? And Jesus speaks directly to us. He says, come to me, all you who are laboring to be something, to look good, to get the approval of God, to go to heaven, all of these things, everything that is a weight and that is, 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 is causing a burden in your life. He says, come to me and I will give you rest, rest. Now he's not saying, you know, rest is kicking your feet up in the lazy boy, watching sports center all day. That's not rest. Even, even science tells us that's not rest. We'll get into that next week. But he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. He explains in just a minute, verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you. Now, what is yoke? That's a weird word. The Jewish rabbis at that time, their yoke was their understanding of the scripture, and it was their, essentially their teaching of, of the scripture and how to live a holy life. And so if you were to follow a rabbi, you were taking that yoke upon you, their instruction and their way of thinking and believing and, and, and understanding of scripture. And so Jesus is saying, follow me, take my yoke, take my understanding of what it means to live a godly life and to please God. Take my yoke, my teaching upon you. And he says, learn from me for I am gentle, I'm lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So you're never going to experience rest for your soul without Jesus. In fact, without Jesus, your soul will be restless, always trying to gain, always trying to get, always trying to perform. He says, follow me, trust in me, and I'll give your soul rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, his burden is light. What, is, what does that mean? I mean, when we talk about following Jesus, we, we know that it's difficult to do that because it's difficult to overcome sin and to defeat sin in our life. But here Jesus is saying, my burden's light. What he's talking about here, what he, what he means here is like as we get closer to him, as we connect and follow him, it becomes easier to embrace his way of life. Our souls begin to rest and, and the burden is released. And so living life becomes easier in the sense that, okay, I'm suffering and there's a lot of difficult things around, but because of my connection with Jesus, my burden is light. Like I get it. I'm connected to him and I'm not distracted by this stuff. Like I'm focused and I'm following him. Scripture teaches us here to walk wisely. To walk wisely, we have to gain wisdom. To gain wisdom, we have to know the scriptures. We have to engage the word of God to know the will of God. And so I wanna give you a few helpful, quick, uh, practical ways for us to start this series and to, and to kinda you know, hone in on the direction that we need to go for the next 21 days through this series. And the first thing that I would say, if we're gonna gain wisdom, we have to submit our life to Jesus. I mean, that's, that's ultimately the first step for everyone here. We have to submit our life to Jesus. The, the truth is a lot of people have, 
maybe been baptized or prayed a prayer, but they've never given Jesus authority in their life. They've never said, Jesus, you're in charge. You're in control of my life. And that's not been like a daily habit to put him in control and to leave him in control. It's been, I'm glad I'm going to heaven, but I'm basically gonna live however I wanna live. And that's just not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We have to submit our life to Jesus. And for some of you, you need to receive him as your Lord and Savior today. You need to to make that commitment and say, Jesus, I'm putting you as the Lord. You are in charge of my life and I'm going to change the direction of my life and my faith is now in you. That's the first step. The second thing I would suggest is pray for wisdom. We gotta pray for wisdom. One of, one of my prayers almost every single day is, is God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom to make decisions. Give me wisdom to, to know how to handle situations. Give me wisdom today, God, when I face things that I don't know I'm gonna face. Help me to, to react and deal with that in the appropriate way. The scripture says it clear in James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. You see, it's simple. You, you ask God for wisdom, the scripture says that he will in fact give you that wisdom. The scripture goes on to say, don't doubt, you know, trust that he's gonna give that to you. So we, we pray to God with expectation that he's gonna give us this wisdom. Psalm 119, 18 says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. It's another great prayer. God, give me wisdom. God, open my eyes. Help me to see wonderful things in your word, in your law. It's like every time I open up the word of God, that's my prayer. God, open up my eyes. I've read it many, 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 many times, but every time I read it and the Holy Spirit illuminates my heart, my mind to truth, I learn new things. God speaks to me in different ways. So we have to pray that God would open up our eyes, that God would give us wisdom. Thirdly, we have to study God's word. And a lot of people don't read the word of God. Studying God's word is something that's, you know, we're afraid of or we don't have time for because we're too busy. We got that two and a half hour schedule on Facebook and Twitter and whatnot to, you know, to keep us busy. So we can't study the word of God. The scripture says very clear in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. You see, the word of God is not just some ancient textbook, you know, writings that, you know, have some good thoughts and good ideas in it. The very word of God, we believe, is breathed out by the Spirit of God. God inspired men to write these words. We believe it's the very word of God. And so when we're talking about the will of God and and walking wisely, in order to know the will of God, you have to know the word of God. And that requires us to study it. And so Sunday mornings right now, we're studying it, we're unpacking it. This is a great start, but there is so much more truth. There is so much more that God wants to show and to teach you and to give to you if you will simply begin to feed yourself and study the scriptures. Think about all the things that you're faced with on Monday morning, all the different bad attitudes you're going to be tempted to have and, and, the, and the things that you're going to be tempted to do and to say. But if you start your day out with the word of God, he right then begins to breathe wisdom into your heart, into your life, so that then you can react in appropriate ways. God will draw you closer. You see, you may want God to speak to you in a certain situation today. You're like, yeah, I want wisdom. In this, I need God to answer. I need something. You have questions maybe for God. But the reality is maybe he's already answered that. 
And he's waiting for you to discover that answer in his word. That requires some, some, some movement in your life. It requires you to study the word of God. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Just very practical, isn't it? It gives us a good image of how the word of God works in our life. We're walking in darkness apart from Jesus. We're walking in darkness apart from God's wisdom in our life. But as we open the word of God, as we grow in our knowledge and wisdom of the word of God, it lights our path. It's like we know what decision to make. We, we know how to respond in a scriptural way when things happen to us that we don't necessarily like. Like we know how to respond. We grow in maturity and God's word lights that step for us. Number four though, it's not enough just to study God's word. You actually have to apply God's word. So we have to actually do what it says, you know, and applying it to your life is a big part of what it means to, to actually grow in your faith. It's not enough just to read it. It's not enough just to know what it says. You have to apply it to your life. James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. In other words, do what he's saying to do with the words that we're reading in the Bible. Here are two questions I think are are easy and very helpful. If like you're gonna begin to get in the word of God, it's not enough just to read it, so how do we begin to apply it? Well, there's two questions that will help you do this. The first question is, after you read a verse, what do I learn about God? What do I learn about God in this verse or in this passage, in this chapter? What do I learn about God? Think about it. And then ask the question, what does God want me to do with this? Once I identify what I'm learning about God, what does God want me to do with this? So in this verse I just read, be doers of the word. What does God want? God wants me to, to, to be a doer. He wants me to not just learn. He wants me to actually apply. So what does God want me to do with this? Well, in this entire chapter, in this entire verse, he talks about several different ways to apply that. You know, to, to be a man or woman of wisdom. And so we, we okay, that means I'm going to have to do something here. What's God telling me to do? And God brings to our mind those things. We easily can read how to apply these things just by simply making a habit of being in the word of God. Charles Spurgeon is one of my favorite all-time pastors. He's probably second on the list. My dad's my, my first. But Charles Spurgeon once said this. He says, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Think about that. To know something doesn't mean that you're wise. So there's a difference. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. I love that. I mean, maybe in your life you would kind of recognize that you've been a knowing fool. You know people who know a lot of stuff. You know a lot about the Bible. You know a lot about science. You know a lot about whatever your field is. But are we just knowing fools? He says to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. So to know how to use the knowledge that we know from Scripture is wisdom for us. Here's the bottom line today. You know wisdom when you say no to the right things at the right time. You know wisdom when you say no to the right things at the right time. In other words, you've got to be a strategic quitter. You've got to quit some things in your life. So what do I mean by that? In our culture, we celebrate startups you know, we, we celebrate when somebody starts a business. Way to go, man. You're awesome. We celebrate when people get engaged. You're going to get married, start a family. Way to go, man. We love startups. We love new things, trying new things. And we loathe quitters. 
Like, you can't quit that sport. I know you hate it. I know it's terrible. You're not quitting. You've got to finish the season, right? Vince Lombardi, famous quote. He says, quitters never win, and winners never quit. And man, that is written on our hearts, isn't it? You're not going to let your kids quit, and you're not going to quit. You're just going to push through, and you're not going to quit, right? But the reality is, every single one of us quit. And we quit all the time. The wise people, the most successful people, are strategic about the things that they quit. So they don't keep doing the wrong things. They, they, they quit the right things so that they can also do the things that they know are the most important things. As a pastor, I can do all kinds of good things all week long. There's always somebody I can call and encourage. There's people I can visit. There's things I can get ready for on Sunday. So, so at some point, I've got to say no. I've got to quit, right? Why? So that I can do the other things that God has called me to do. One, lead my family, invest in my kids. If I'm always working and I'm always doing ministry, I could say, well, this is God's work, right? But no, I've got to quit at some point so that I can do other things that God's called me to do. So I've got to quit some things in my life. You've got to learn to quit some things in your life. We can't just add more stuff to your life. Hey, read the Bible. Make that a part of your plan. Okay, I'm going to do it. What happens? Week one, week two, you're awesome, you're good. And then you hit a dip. You get busy, you get distracted, and then you're out of the routine, right? Seth Godin wrote a book called The Dip, really good book. And the book is about how businesses start off well, but then they inevitably hit a dip. Every relationship you've ever had hits a dip. Every business you've ever started uh, or, or you're a part of hits a dip. Sales go down. You know, we don't always know why. You know, things happen in relationships and it kind of struggle. We hit that dip. And what happens is we end up quitting certain things too soon. And so we, we don't quit the right things. We quit, you know, the wrong things. And as a result, we don't accomplish the things that we know we are supposed to, like a long-term goal. Think of it like this. January hits, people are more inclined to get a gym membership, got to work out. Why? Our goal is to be healthy. So we start in January, doing well in January. February comes, the dip hits, and what do we do? We quit. <laughs> Statistically, though, if you make it through February and you make it through March, it will become a habit in your life and you'll begin to reach that goal. But most of us either don't start or we quit in the dip. And what we do is we quit working out instead of quitting the other things in our life that are distracting us from becoming healthy. And the same is true spiritually. We quit things that we shouldn't quit, right? And we start things that we shouldn't start and it happens every single day. And so my encouragement for you today as we close is what is it in your life that you need to quit? What do you need to quit? Be a strategic quitter. You know, there are some things in your life that you're doing that are not adding value to your life. It's not adding value to your future goals. There are some things in your life that are preventing you from doing the most important thing in your life, which is to worship and serve Jesus faithfully. So what do you need to quit in order to accomplish that end goal? That, that relationship with him. Well, I'm gonna help you today. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do today and everybody in our church. For the next 21 days, that's how long this series is, I'm asking you to quit social media completely. Delete the apps from your phone. Don't go on your computer. Don't go anywhere on your phone. Don't do any social media for 21 days. My niece just got back from Africa. She spent a few months there serving people, teaching English and talking about Jesus. And one of the things that she learned 
actually, I said, you know, what are, what are some of the biggest things you've learned? And she said, the greatest thing, really, one of the greatest things is that for, for that entire period of time, I didn't have any social media. And it was just awesome. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty enlightening for a 20-year-old you know, college student to say that. Because what we don't know is the depths of, of our connection and, and pressure that comes and stems out of that. And so we're going to quit it for 21 days. And what we're going to add to our plate is the habit of reading God's Word. And so we're going to make it super easy for you. We're going to actually text you a Bible verse so that everybody in our church is going to read the same things, be praying towards the same things, asking those two questions. What is God teaching me about himself? And what do I need to do to apply this? What is he telling me to do with this? We're going to be talking about it together, reading the same. It's going to come on your phone, right? And so you're going to actually, no matter where you're at, you're going to see that. And it's going to lead you to read it because we read our text messages most of the time, right? And so all you have to simply do is text FC Bible. You can go ahead and get your phones out, by the way, if you want to do this. I'm not going to be offended. Text FC Bible to the number 555-888. And that's going to start tomorrow. So we can't just add things to our plate without quitting things. You're already busy. You're already living a distracted life. So we've got to delete some things before we can add something like reading the Bible and getting on a schedule to where that becomes part of your routine. And so that's, that's a, a huge push for us in this series and at this time that we want to actually identify the things in our life that are leading us to be distracted from what God wants us to do. Now, let me give you one more thing that I think is going to be a huge part of your spiritual growth. And that is simply that we learn from other godly people in our life. Yeah, we're going to apply the Bible. We're going to read the Bible. We're going to gain wisdom. But but God uses godly people in my life to grow me in my wisdom. And so that's why we talk about small groups all the time. That's why we want you to connect in small groups. And, and I get it. Some of you have, have been in groups that didn't work at other churches or maybe here. And, and so the temptation for us is to quit. Bad experience, so we're going to just quit. But that wouldn't be the right thing to quit. Right? There are other things that we have to quit. We've got to do the important things. Why do so many people say that they can't be in a group? A lot of times too busy. So again, we look at our schedules. What's in our schedule that we need to quit so that we can actually do things that are going to encourage our spiritual growth? And I would say every time, small groups, small groups, small groups. Be a strategic quitter today, and let's begin to focus on the will of God and the wisdom of God like never before. Let's pray together. God, we are in awe of your truth and your word. I pray, Lord, as we look at the various pressure in our life as we look at the various distractions that we're faced with, that, Father, that you will open our heart, open our eyes to that, reveal it to us very clearly. What are the things in our life we need to subtract? What are the things and the distractions that are getting in the way? Maybe it's an attitude, maybe it's a thought, maybe it's a sin that we need to repent of. Maybe we've never given our life to Jesus. I pray in this room, God, if there's anybody that wants to make that decision, that they will go to our parent care room to simply ask for help, simply ask for prayer today. God, we pray that you'll change our hearts and help us to see and walk wisely today and in the days ahead. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.